We're standing right in the middle of the Great Hall of the Thomas Jefferson Building. First question, though. Mm -hmm. Do we have to whisper in the library? No, because we're here by ourselves. (laughs) Perfect. Dr. Carla Hayden is the best. She's the 14th Librarian of Congress of the United States. Born in Florida, she spent her career educating and inspiring with stops in Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore. From Charm City, Dr. Hayden was nominated by President Obama and confirmed by the Senate, 74 to 18, by the way, to a 10-year term. We caught up with Dr. Hayden to walk a mile, and to be honest, I was not expecting the surprises and treasures she had waiting for us. Plus, she answered, at least for me, a question that profoundly changed my relationship with books for the rest of my life. I'm Tommy McFly. Welcome to Walk a Mile. Thomas Jefferson Building opened in 1897. The first federal building to have electricity. So if you look around, you will see light fixtures that emphasize light bulbs and things because they were so proud to have electricity. Wow. So before the Capitol and the White House had electricity, the Library of Congress did? The Library of Congress did it. And on the top of the Library of Congress, you will see a torch, a golden torch. And it's the torch of knowledge because right across the street is the U.S. Capitol with the torch of freedom and it has become just this symbol of the fact that in this country we build palaces to knowledge, not to royalty. And so when you come in, you see the materials are from the United States. So the marble and all of the things that you see and you're looking and you feel like you're in a European palace. You really do. It's got the beautiful gray marbles and the color marble on the floor and then the beautiful paintings on the ceilings. And I love I love the sayings that are up here too. They were selected on purpose, so you could imagine. Ignorance is the curse of God, knowledge, the wing where we fly to the heavens. And you can just look around. They are not alone that are accompanied with noble thoughts. You see these carefully selected sayings and quotes throughout the building. And so you can turn at any time and look at murals that depict the conflict between good and evil. All of that is here. And, and not just uh, the professions that you think medicine law, but also that craftsmanship that this was, remember, 1897, Industrial Revolution. There was a thought that we could build something like this in this country that rivals anything you'd see in the old world. That's incredible. And now Thomas Jefferson's got masks on, on the Marble bus. Thomas Jefferson, we require people to wear masks, so we thought everybody should. So first step questions. You ready? Yes. What are you streaming and enjoying right now? I'm catching up with the newsroom. Oh, good one. With Jeff Daniels, Mm -hmm. because I didn't see it when it first came out. And so I'm kind of binge watching it. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to see him in the cast of To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. And that was just so powerful and so timely. And then to now see the newsroom and think about what's going on, it's just been mesmerizing. And when I need a break, I read a mystery book. Have you picked up any pandemic habits? We've been outside, we've been doing all kinds of new things, or hobbies, I guess I would say. I think one of the hobbies that I've picked up and that really is something that I had 
put down was going through the New Yorker magazine and having the time to read the articles. Yes, because the, the titles are great and you're like, this is 9,000 words. And I put them, <laughs> I had baskets of them and everything like that. And so to have an opportunity with just not having to commute as much and things like that to just sit. And a lot of the things that I would read or put aside were actually helpful for work. Hmm. That's good. That worked out really well. So that's a habit now. I try at least once a one afternoon or a weekend afternoon to just go through. And so you're entrusted with the Library of Congress, but what other treasures in DC, when you go there, do they, do they still make you feel awe and feel inspired? The Smithsonian, of course, mm -hmm. and in particular, Julia Child's Kitchen mm -hmm. in the American History Museum. Hey, I thought I should mention right next to Julia Child's Kitchen in the American History Museum is the Immigrant's Table exhibit. That's where Chef Tim Ma's family story is told. He was our last guest on Walk a Mile. If you haven't heard it yet, check it out next. Another That's something. And of course, the new African American Museum. It's not as new now, but you go in and you just get a renewed sense of the pull of history. And one that I want to get to need to get to is the botanical uh, garden. They're beautiful. I run, I run around them a lot over the last couple of years. That's where I need to do. Do you think in your professional opinion, listening to an audio book counts as reading a book? Yes. Great. I've read so many books then, Dr. Hayden. <laughs> and that's what I want people to appreciate and not feel guilty because it's story. It's listening and people read in different ways. And sometimes we stereotype reading and you have to read this book like this and you have to and my thing that really gets me and turns off a lot of kids you have to finish the book if you don't like it no you don't put it down mm -hmm. there are millions of books <laughs> don't make it something like broccoli yeah you know that you have to finish it no if this book isn't for you Put it aside. Get another one. I've got a librarian from my high school I'd like you to give a phone call to. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it's generational. And I, I have a lot of people that still feel that they have to finish the book even if they don't like it. No, you don't. You've curated a walk for us today. Where are we heading wow. in this beautiful so place? So you start out in the Great Hall. And this is to give you the sense of here we are in this bastion of knowledge and all of these wonderful things. And then you keep walking and you're still seeing the murals and you're seeing also the names of uh, different authors in, inlaid into this beautiful mosaic. It's you gorgeous. see all of this. What you are walking past something that is a treasure. That's the Gutenberg Bible. The Gutenberg Bible. So oh you're just casually goodness. walking and you turn to your it right. It just happens to be there. Floating in air. Wow. And it's one of only three copies in oh vellum goodness. in the world. The other two copies are at the British Library in London mm -hmm. and the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris. Wow. How long Wonderful. has this been here, or will it be here for? Oh, it's forever, because we just got a wonderful new case. And if you're looking at this case, it looks like a bomb shelter It almost. looks very, yes, very Nicholas Cage. If anything <laughs> happens, we all joke and say, we want to get into this case. Seriously. It has its own heating, cooling system. It is so thick. Oh, my goodness. And here's the special door. Right. You open it up, and there are all the mechanics. Wow. Temperature control, its own separate security system. Oh, my goodness. This is the case. Every few weeks, 
a curator will go in and turn the page. So when you come in at different times, you'll see a different page with different verses. Wow. So of course they try to also coordinate it with different things in the uh, religious calendar. That makes sense with like Easter's or whatever that's coming up. Different things, also the Old Testament. Right, correct. And you have that, so now you're still going over. So you've gotten over seeing the Gutenberg Bible. Okay. But then you say, wait a minute, there's another magnificent space. A smiling Capitol Police officer opened the grand doors to the main reading room of the Library of Congress. Thank you very opening. much. Capitol Police does such an incredible job here. Oh, they're wonderful. And Capitol so Police. So nice and so helpful. Because so, we are so part great. of the complex. And now we're in the reading room, so we're whispering. We're actually whispering now. This because is, I've never been in here, and this is just. This is the main reading room. Wow. An expansive, vast room wrapped in a hug of books, dating back to who knows when, with pristine benches, lights, and desks, and a giant librarian desk in the middle. And you just have to stand here. If you've been into the Capitol, you are familiar with the dome, but look at this dome. One of the most beautiful places in Washington, D.C. And you see the different continents that were existing then, the different states. It only has 48 states because wow. it's 1897. The different companies, the woodwork, and you see all of the tables and the chairs. And so just imagine all of these people sitting at these tables, right. producing and doing research. At 16, you can get a reader's card yes. and you can come in and you can request materials to be brought to you. Of course, this is a library that's reference only, so you can't check anything totally. out. <laughs> you see Shakespeare, you see all of the statues and things surrounding it. To give you inspiration, what they wanted to do was also, of course, make you feel like, wow, this is something, but also to emphasize humanity. And so there is, and on our tours, we try to have people pick out, there's one imperfection to show that only God is perfect. In this build, in this room? In this room. Is it in the dome? Or well, we're not going to tell people. <laughs> we want them to come and visit because you can get tours. All right, so since it's audio, can you point to me? Point it to me, and I won't say what it is, but I want to see. It's in the ceiling. It's so don't oh. tell, Tom. I won't tell anybody. My lips are sealed, Dr. Hayden. The work and the, the time that must go into upkeep here yeah. must be insane. It's wonderful, though, because you have people that have worked at the Library of Congress for 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. Also, just like the U.S. Capitol Police uh, protect the collections and the staff and the people, you have the architect of the Capitol who's in charge of maintaining and the grounds of the Capitol also are in charge of keeping up the grounds of the Library of Congress. Oh, okay. And so you have specialists in brass and marble cleaning, just like you would in the Capitol. Right. So now we're going to go to another part. And as we're making that walk over, the reader's cards, anyone can get them. 16. You get them online. You get them here. How do you get them? You can get it online, and then you can actually use them in any of the three buildings mm -hmm. that are right here. So now we're going to walk into the librarian's office. Wow. Imagine a librarian of Congress this is the office. This is beautiful. A jewel box. Oh, truly a jewel box. <laughs> oh my goodness. Isn't it something? Wow. This is exactly like the office in Baltimore, right? 
Exactly. <laughs> every office, Chicago, every office I've ever had, I just made sure. Still with the theme of the Italian palace, that the prince or librarian would sit here, and on the mezzanine would be poets and musicians to rain down things for inspiration. Of course, we have a we have a CD player. Yeah. <laughs> We're standing in an incredibly ornate, gorgeous office from another era. On the table are boxes. They look like maybe jewelry. On the librarian's ceremonial desk, there's papers. Definitely old, but I'm too far away to see exactly what they are. Also, two staff members are waiting for us. These treasures were acquired. They're cared for. They're curated. They're explained by the most magnificent staff members. So you are surrounded by specialists. Oh my gosh, what's your name by the way? I'm Michelle Krell. Hey Michelle. Michael North. I'm Tommy. So what did you pull out for us? Well, let's just bring out the good silver. All right. Almost literally. (laughs) So let's start with Mary Todd Lincoln's Tiffany jewelry. What? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. And it is magnificent. Oh. And here is a photo oh. of Mary Todd Lincoln wearing it. Oh my! She's wearing goodness. it, and at his first inaugural, mm-hmm. she wore this, and it was a gift from his granddaughter, Mary Lincoln. We have the records that show it was purchased in about 1862. The bracelets were sold to order for three hundred and fifty dollars. Yes. Oh my goodness! And they are gorgeous. So you can go on the library's website, actually and pull up Mary Todd's photo right now. And, and we'll put links to these um, items in the show notes as well. It's so, it's so beautiful. Isn't it gorgeous? So as wild. I mentioned to Michelle, we could wear this right now. Right. <laughs> we could wear this right now. And so you, you have could. this I probably little, would not be allowed to. So it's, it's so fitting in this office that's like mm-hmm. a little jewel box. Yes. It really is with the same murals, the same detailing the wood and everything you just feel that it looks like the ceiling is carved out of marble like it just looks it looks so prestigious and beautiful so i want to make sure that you see on a sadder note though this is going with the lincoln theme i've i've viewed this online the contents of uh, abraham lincoln's pockets on the night that he was assassinated i i don't even to be able to see this in person we don't usually have objects, um, but his descendants donated uh, this collection to the library uh, back in the 1930s. But you'll see here's his wallet. Wow. There's two pairs of glasses, and these are some glasses cases. His em- embroidered hanky. Embroidered hanky. And there's a $5 bill uh, from the Confederate States of America. Just be aware, for the rest of the podcast, I'm going to be saying, oh my gosh, and wow, a lot, because the things we're seeing are unbelievable. Wow. Which they believe that he got as a souvenir because he had just visited Richmond, which had been captured from the Confederacy a few weeks before. Wow. And this came to the library in this box that was in, there's a door there. Mm-hmm beautiful door. One of my predecessors tried to get in the door, and this is how the story goes, and couldn't get in, and they found a key, and then behind this door is a vault, like a bank vault. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody knew the combination, and the real story (laughs) goes that they temporarily liberated someone from a correctional institution that could help them open it. Oh my goodness. And when he did, 
there was this box, and that was the only thing in there. So it was in the safe for about 40 years. When I became librarian, I must tell you, and I heard the story, and I did that, I went around and checked every drawer <laughs> in this did office. find anything else in there? No. <laughs> and then that's the reward poster for John Wilkes Booth and his people. $100,000 back then was a lot of that money. That was a lot of money. George Washington. We oh, have the papers of 23 presidents from goodness. Washington to Coolidge. So here is George Washington in his own hand, his first inaugural address. Fellow citizens of the Senate and of the House of Representatives. This was in his own writing. Yep. And here's another one. So we thought we'd really get you now to Alexander Hamilton <gasps> to his wife, Eliza. The last letter. Oh my gosh. Dated July 4th, 1804 is <clears throat> essentially in the event of his death because he was going, he knew he was going to the, in, the dual interview with Aaron Burr, that that would be delivered to his wife on the event of his death and essentially said, I feel that compelled that I have to do this. Otherwise I would not be worthy of you. And this is where you get the line, best of wives and best of women. Isn't that something? That's so something. Being from this part of the world, Springfield, Illinois, Abraham Lincoln, mm -hmm. his farewell remarks upon leaving Springfield. On his train journey to become president, which at that point people were inaugurated on March 4th, mm -hmm. and he gave remarks at the train station, and they, some were, were noted by the stenographers, but as they got on the train, he decided to recreate his remarks. But this is where you need to really go online to see them, because you can read the text, but here you see the train started to move. Mm -hmm. So the handwriting is fine and it's Lincoln's to start with. And then the train starts to move and the handwriting goes up and down and he hands it off to his secretary who also usually has beautiful handwriting. So this is, you get to see not only the beautiful remarks about I'm embarking on knowing that I have a task greater than Washington, George Washington did. I don't know if I'll ever be coming back, but you know, this, all these, these, these lovely remarks that he gives, but then that's also, you see what it looks like when you're riding on a train. Wow. That's amazing. It looks like when you're doing your homework on the school bus. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or trying to, to write on Metro or something. So, <laughs> so this is where being able to see the original gives you a, a different feel than just reading the text, which in itself is, is, is fantastic. And talk about just like an abundance of treasures in this place. Frederick Douglass to Abraham Lincoln in his own hand, a plan of escape for enslaved persons in the Confederate States. So the Frederick Douglass papers relate to Abraham Lincoln. He also had gorgeous handwriting. He did. And, and, and if you don't mind, if I, in, in this, the date is important because it's August 1864. Lincoln's up for re-election in November. And because the war is not going well, there's a lot of things going against him at that particular point in time. He's not sure he's going to win re-election, which is hard for us to remember because he's Abraham Lincoln. Right, of and, course. He's the guy in marble down the street. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So he's not sure that he's going to win re-election. So he consults with Frederick Douglass about how can we come up with a plan or give me some ideas of how we can encourage enslaved people in the Confederate States to escape, if I don't win re-election, to get as many people to safety as possible. Wow. And that's Frederick Douglass writing this plan. I've discussed it with a few things. Here's some preliminary ideas. And as it turned out, things went Lincoln's way. He was reelected and they didn't have to do this. But it's pretty extraordinary to think that Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass were essentially plotting slave escapes, the escape of slave, enslaved people. And to get a window into that mindset of like, what can we do for people if, if I don't prevail? Exactly. And that's where it's also important to go back to what people understood at a particular moment in time 
rather than reading back. Where is Lincoln's mind in August of 1864, and what does he think he needs to put in place in case he doesn't win? And it was not for him, it was to help people, and right. that's why we end up with the assassination, because I think it was three days before uh, Booth actually assassinated him, he heard him give a speech mm -hmm. about slavery and got so enraged and said, no, it's time. Wow. It means the world that you took the time to pull this out to show us this today. This is Thank you. incredible. I've seen the contents online because I'm a regular visitor of LOC.gov <laughs> and um, I've seen so many things on there and I've looked at these and this is, to see it in person is such a gift. Thank you. And something that's coming in the next few years is actually a treasures gallery for the first time. So some of these Ooh. things, people will be occasionally able to see the real things as well. It seems like in your tenure as Librarian of Congress, you've, you've done more to like bring items out. And maybe it's because I'm in your orbit more, but it seems like there's more non-book well, exhibits and things. process had been starting and I'm just moving it along okay. <laughs> and that's what means so much to me is that I could be part of this. Mm -hmm. It's like passing the baton. So I picked it up and we're keeping it going. Some of our predecessors started different things or continued things and I'm part of it too. So it's nice to be part of history. It is incredible to be part of history and you are in your own regard. Well, my mom thinks so. There you go. How's she doing by the way? <laughs> She's doing pretty good. She just turned 90. So for her, a lot of the historical things, so she's really been thinking about the whole civil rights movement and things and being part of uh, that has been really resonating with her now. And how unsure, at the time, there was a lot of uncertainty about the things we take for granted now. So thank you. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh, but wait, there's more. There's more because this is, this is the world's largest library. And it spans several buildings. Several buildings. So three on the Capitol complex. Thomas Jefferson building that we're walking around in now. Right behind when they outgrew this building, they built the Adams building, John Adams. Notice theme. Of, mm -hmm. And then the Madison building, 1980. And then vast facilities in Fort Meade, Maryland. And then in Culpeper, Virginia, acres of things that hold film and sound recordings. The largest collection of film in the world too. So now- This is the members call. room. The members room that used to be a reading room for members of Congress. Mm -hmm. And now it's used for committee meetings, different receptions, things like that. Do members still come and take out materials oh, yeah. or open up yeah, materials and that sort of thing? And Who's they're the, the only ones that can check out materials. Ah, makes sense. So Who's the most like avid reader of the... Of, like, oh, there's so many. Who, who do you see the most? Over time. We can't disclose. <laughs> okay. But just say that there's a great appreciation for the Library of Congress. That's awesome. By members knowledge. of Congress and they know that they count. We have a special service, Congressional Research Service, that just gives nonpartisan objective uh, research for members of Congress and their staff. That's cool. So it's like a SWAT team of researchers just for them. So in this members room though, we brought out some more good silver of a different kind. This is great. Look at this Spider-Man, Wonder Woman. The Library of Congress has one Abby of Robin. the largest collections. Superhero. What's your name? Georgia Higley. Georgia, thanks for doing this. Who is a specialist in comics. Oh my gosh, what a fun job. I know, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to have. <laughs> so we said, okay, could we bring out some things? We pulled some of the comic first. Batman number one, 
Uh, of wow. Course, he first appeared in Detective Comics, uh, number 37, I believe, but this is in 1940, uh, where he got his own named comic book. In 1940, wow. Yes. yes. That's amazing. And Robin, the yep. boy wonder. The boy wonder is included in here, and also this is the issue where the Joker debuts. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. They've been at it for that long. Mm-hmm. They haven't been able to get along for, what, 60, 70 plus Fine. years now. <laughs> And my favorite, Wonder Woman. Look at that. Yes. That is the Library of Congress building she's protecting, right? Sure looks like it, doesn't it? I mean, there's the Capitol front face. There she is. That could be us. And the Sensation Comics, uh, this again is issue number one. What I like to say about this particular issue is that it sort of represents the natural way that we do our comic book processing in the past because collectors cringe but you'll see that there are stamps on the cover. I noticed that. I was wondering of about course, that. Of course, because librarians are not worried about resale. Right, that's <laughs> okay. true. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they're not collectibles for us. Yeah. They're collectible in terms of preserving and having them, but we want to show that we own it, and, and that's it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, so we receive <laughs> comics through copyright deposit, just like the books and mm -hmm. periodicals that come to the library. Well, in the beginning and continuing to today, copyright is our main way of acquiring comic books. Wow. So in the past, we stamp it with the copyright deposit, and then we stamp it with the date that it was uh, accessioned into the library. Are they still shipping you issues even today? Yes. yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Amazing Fantasy was the first appearance of Spider-Man. I like to say it ushered in the Silver Age of comics. Mm -hmm. We actually bought this issue, so you don't see all the stamps all over it. I mean, it was 12 cents. How could you not? Yeah, right. What a deal. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? These are all imaged on the website too, right? Uh, certainly the covers mm -hmm. are. Yeah, you can't flip through the PDF. No. Mm -hmm. They're under copyright. Yeah, exactly. In case you didn't know, all works under copyright protection in the United States there's a mandatory deposit provision that two of the best copies must be sent to the Library of Congress within three months of publication. Thank you for pulling these out for us today. This is so cool. And we have one more. Oh my gosh, Doctor, this is the We're gonna, this is the grand finale. We're having such a great time on this walk. And you're still seeing the murals and you're still right. seeing the inlaid uh, marble and the mosaics and the sayings and allegory and tributes to men of the Library of Congress who gave their lives in the Second World War. And Were they, they would have been employees of the library? Yes. And so those types of recognitions are here too. Mm -hmm. So we're going down some very well-worn marble steps. Yes. And you can <laughs> see the ridges and the dips. Right before the pandemic, the Library of Congress had two million in-person visitors. Wow. And those steps reflect it. When do you think you'll be back to, to that again? Just Hope sort of... by the summer, okay. if we could get back and with conditions. So now we're at what's called the carriage level, which is the street level. Mm -hmm. And there actually was, and you see the brass and everything, is a little uh, driveway where the carriages would pull up. That's how we came in, and now yes. Capitol Police checks you through security there. Now we're going into a special area, 
that was given by a very generous donor who was a music lover. Mm. That's another part because the Library of Congress has musical instruments. Yes, they do. And I say that the treasures are the instruments, but also the staff members. Jonathan Larson's Tick, Tick, Boom, mm -hmm. which Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, adapted. And I think a lot more people are familiar with the name Jonathan Larson. I hope after watching Absolutely. the film, it was fantastic. And Lin-Manuel Miranda actually did come to the library to research the film in the really early stages of planning. Wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. So he spent time with the papers and with the audio archives. And actually this song right here, it's called Swimming. This is um, a piece of music that Jonathan Larson performed himself in his one-man version of the show um, that was called 3090 back in the day. And it actually got cut before Tick, Tick, Boom went to uh, off-Broadway. Uh, so it, people don't know it very well if they're familiar with Tick, Tick, Boom from the off-Broadway version. But when Lynn came, he found this piece and I've heard him say in interviews that he just, you know, he, he saw it, listened to it and thought, I can see why this didn't work on stage, but I can totally see how this could work cinematically. So he found a way to work it in. And there's this beautiful scene now with Andrew Garfield swimming through the swimming pool, singing this very stream of consciousness song. So, so that's this piece swimming right here. And if you get yourself a reader's card, you have one more thing in common with Lin-Manuel right. Miranda. And so there you go. So you got that going too. One of my favorites from this is Jonathan Larson's Rent. Wow. Here, and you won't be able to get it out of your head. So come and meet <laughs> us, because once we say it, his calculations for seasons of love, and here it is. You can see, like, he wrote it out he like a long division really program. One year, force it, he does it out in his own hand. And thinking about all the ways that you can calculate you know, life, how, how you can measure life in one year. Yeah. And actually, if you look really careful, he even takes it to the seconds after the minutes, but it's like 31 million something. <laughs> but he decided that's Part just one step mad. too far. <laughs> he does, look at that, 31 million, the original Rent Playbook too. And I'm old enough to remember that that's how I learned how to do divisions. <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> I know exactly what he's trying to say here. Think about the treasures, think about oh, what you're yeah. seeing. And you're surrounded also by the largest collection of a musical instrument, a single instrument in the world, the Dayton Miller collection of flutes. Look at that. And they're just like, you know, priceless flutes in the wall over here. I remember last, last time we spoke about flutes. Any luck getting Lizzo to come here yet? We're trying. Okay. <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> Miles of shelving, but filled with treasures and curated and cared for and explained by staff members. I thought we, you and I were taking a stroll, Dr. Hayden. You got treasures and oh, no. surprises at we every corner. We said if you're going to be here, because that's what we want people to see. And some of the things that we just talked about are online. You could look and see them. How many pieces of the library can you go see normally? Or does it change by day? Or what, what does that look like? There are basic tours, and some of those tours focus on the history and the architecture. There are specialized tours of different departments that can be arranged, and so we would encourage people to call and talk about what they might want to see if they have a group and things. And then researchers can make appointments and be very specific if a researcher, for instance, is doing something about Jonathan Larson, like Lynn manuel mm -hmm. They can come in and work with the curators and librarians with those collections. That's so cool. And when you think about all of the different institutions in DC that are are so valuable to 
Americans, this one seems to be the most able to curate. You go to like museums and it's a very hard experience where they've decided what you're going to see for now. But here, to be able to go and go into the reading room and check things out. It's the discovery. Mm -hmm. That's why your David McCullough, your Doris Kearns Goodwin, your Alex Haley, all of these researchers love the opportunity to look at the originals and come up with interpretations and understanding of so many things. So, you're walking, We're walking. and you're walking back out and you're thinking now, how could I ever absorb all of this? Correct. A lot just happened to us. First already. thing you can do is go on the library's website, loc.gov, and just explore. And that's our digital front doors. I spent so much time there this last couple of years in the pandemic, and it's become a regular resource. If anything I'm talking about, I'm, I'm searching it there first. You can ask a librarian right on the website, and you'll get an email back from a librarian. Mm -hmm. But we want everybody to walk around and come and see us. So right now we're open Wednesdays through Saturdays. So go on the website and say, I want to come. It's great that you found a way to keep it open and, and keep it moving. We have to. So thank you so much for this. I appreciate you taking the walk with us, Doctor. And I get to see these treasures again too. <laughs> they don't come out often. Thank you so much for reading this podcast. I'm Tommy McFly. Hope you loved our walk with Dr. Carla Hayden as much as I did. She is such an incredible human and trailblazer, being the first woman and person of color to serve as the Librarian of Congress. In the show notes, you'll find links to all the things that we saw, so you can check them out too. And if you're a Washingtonian, please make a plan to visit the Library of Congress. If you are coming to town as a tourist, make sure you stop by. The Library of Congress is located right next to the Capitol building. A special thanks to Bergine Joyce, Patricia Anderson, Roswell Encina, and Mark Isaacson for contributing to this episode. If you're enjoying Walk a Mile, please share it with a few of your friends. That would mean the world. Next time, we walk a mile with one of DC's most exciting professional athletes. She has several championships under her belt and is hoping to win one here in Washington.